0: gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Excited to have you here for another great episode where I bring on Renee Rodriguez. Let me give you a quick background on Renee. For the last 20 years, he has researched and applied behavioral neuroscience as a dynamic keynote speaker, a leadership advisor, world-class sales expert, and renowned speaking coach. Yet he believes that we are only scratching the surface of what is possible and that every profession can benefit from fully engaging the human mind and brain. And with this new environment we face, it's important for us to consider what kinds of leaders we are and who we will choose to be as our world begins to re engage. Excited to jump in this interview. Without further ado, my chat today with Renee Rodriguez. Let's get it started. Renee, grateful to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining today. My pleasure. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into a lot of stuff. You know, it's always funny preparing for these things, kind of looking online, researching. Like, I can go about 50 different angles with you on some stuff, which we'll dive into a few different things. I actually want to start here, though, because I'm really interested, you know, watching a lot of your videos, that, that TEDx one was phenomenal. Um and you seem so confident and sure of yourself on stage and like the presence can you share a time when you weren't confident and that may be <laughs> that may be recent but i'm assuming it's maybe way back can i i would love just to share that because you seem so confident with what you're doing i have to imagine it hasn't always been that way
1: you know thank you well thank you for saying that that's a big compliment i appreciate that you know i think <clears throat> i don't know I, is it, I guess I've spent a lot of time wondering about that and practicing and and looking at that whole concept of what confidence on stage is. And for me, it's a difference between expression and impression, meaning trying to express what it is that I believe, feel, and study, have studied and or trying to be impressive. And what I find is, the very act of being on a stage, being on a podcast, has by nature a pull to want to be impressive. I mean, who wants to do a boring podcast? Who wants to do a boring keynote? And so one of the things that the the, the pull has been is how do you move away from the natural pull into being and getting into expressing what you believe, right? And I think that that shift creates a confidence or at least the perception of one. For me, it creates a feeling of being in a pocket or in a flow of, of expression. And I, I, do, I, I talk about this concept, you know, like what a Venn diagram is, right? You have two circles and they merge over one part. And on one side, you have discipline, which is the hard work that you put in to learn something and to be good at something, right? You know, whether it's a sport or if it's a, um, an instrument or your, your profession, podcasting, whatever it is. And then on the other side, you have um, surrender and that challenge of making sure that you have the discipline that you put in the hard work. And then when it comes time to perform, to be able to actually surrender. I think that's the really big tough part. And when you have that, that overlap becomes a flow where you've put in the work and you're able to surrender at game time and then you reach a flow. Some people try to surrender without having put in the work. And you can't get that or in without having put the discipline in, it's very difficult to surrender because what are you surrendering to? And then maybe surrendering to chaos at that point. So I think that, you know, for me, I can think of many times, you know, growing up that I wasn't confident or nervous. There's always nerves, by the way, there's always nerves that doesn't go away. And I don't want it to go away. I tell people, I said, the butterflies will never go away, but we can teach them how to fly in formation. And that's through breathing through um, getting your, mental, physical place, you know, state in the right place.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned about nerves and I remember this, I don't know if you're a golfer or not, but um big golfer, I have a background in golf and cool. you know, Jack Nicklaus used to always say, there's a difference between being nervous and scared and nervous and prepared. Mm-hmm. And I always felt growing up, like I was the nervous and scared, like I'd go to golf tournaments and I, it's like, I almost, I like convinced myself mentally that I wasn't going to shoot well, you know. And, and I thought I was prepared, but I guess I went in there and maybe that's something different. I don't know from the psyche standpoint, but.
1: Well, there's the, the nerves are good. It's, I mean, the nerves are really the secretion of cortisol in the brain and cortisol helps you get focused, helps you build your strength. It helps you really, you know, your body kind of come together, but there's a point where it goes too far. And when it goes too far, your, your muscles constrict and things don't work the same. And that's where. You know, it's the the nerves take over too far, but you want a good, you want some nerves, but you want to have that healthy balance of of your body functioning correctly. Um,
0: I, I want to get back to some of those early moments for you from the conference, but actually that made me think of something, you know, the, um, it actually just came up recently. I don't know if you watch the last dance, the, the whole docuseries from the, on the bulls, really solid.
1: I I am refusing to watch till it ends. And I think it just ended so I could watch it all at once. Okay, good. I've heard wonderful things about it.
0: Yeah, well, there's one part, I won't give it away by saying this, but there's one part in there that was really intriguing where they were talking about where Jordan, he basically, obviously he wasn't scared to take the last shot or really take any shot because he he had the mentality that I haven't taken the shot yet. So I haven't missed it. So why why do I have the worry that I'm going to do something bad? Where does Mm. that come from? Maybe in, in- with a lot of your background, especially with the neuroscience, level, where, where does that come from where we kind of over
1: worry before we've actually done something? So, I, I can't answer as a professional athlete. I played basketball. I, I did get to the collegiate level and then got cut. <laughs> so, um, so I did play at a, at a pretty good level. But, um, you know, I'd say, you know, I can answer from a performance perspective on um, being on stage and seeing thousands of eyeballs looking at you, which can feel very similar to that kind of pressure. And you know, doing a TED talk is is even more pressure because <laughs> you get one shot at it, and then it goes on a site with twenty some million subscribers. And so, <clears throat> um, you know, I think that battle. Uh, I remember when I was a kid having a conversation with somebody because I I'd watched some some of the players that we'd play with, and it was almost like they felt no pressure. They would just go out there, and it was just effortless to them, and. I would always wonder, I mean, my friends, is it, is it they're just not thinking, you know, is it, are they just not smart enough to think it? And which sounds horrible, but maybe am I just thinking too much? And I was talking to a psychologist friend of mine and he, he said that under stress and anxiety, we resort to what we're really good at. So if you're, if you're smart, under stress and anxiety, you're going to resort to thinking and you're going to keep thinking and you're going to keep thinking and you're going to keep thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. And so if you don't stop that pattern, it can go too far. And so then, you know, there's that, I mean, and I'm saying this as different components, right? But I'm going to go back to, to the piece around performance and stress. The ability to perform under high amounts of stress comes down to your ability to manage cortisol. And you look at any elite performer, you look at any Navy SEAL, you look at a professional athlete, and they're going to tell you that their number one competitive advantage, the, the, the skill of the elite, is their ability to breathe. And if they can keep their breathing in perspective, their parasympathetic nervous system takes over, calming the sympathetic nervous system, which is the excited response, and they're able to perform. And what's sad is here breathing is the secret weapon of the elite performer, but it becomes the punchline of the average performer. Oh, we, we've got to do this kumbaya breathing exercise. Oh, we're going to do mindfulness again. Whatever joke they want to make about it, but those are those secret weapons.
0: Is that why, like, if I'm in a, if I'm in a workout and I, and I start feeling, I, I'll call it pain, right. And I push through the pain and kind of get to the other end. Is that just because I've been able to control the, the breathing and I haven't let it got to me and realize there was another level. Is that it? Or am I, am I, I so, am totally gritty. different?
1: You sound like you're just gritty. That to me <laughs> sounds more like grit than performance. Cause you know, there's somebody that pushes through pain, um, and knows that there's another side, you know, like I was telling my my son you know there, there's there is a dark side to working out. That there's a dark side of reaching that place where you think you're done and then you you dig deeper and you dig and then you feel like there you realize there's more there that are. I think one navy CM said that our what our perception of 100% is really our 40%. Yeah. And when you really go to that dark side, you realize there's another 60% available there to you and most people won't push themselves there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like David Goggins. I've been listening to him too much. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's definitely a good example of that. Yeah, he's yeah he's a little bit on that uh, extreme there. Um, well, so I want to go back to the, the kind of starting out because obviously, you know, the whole getting started mentality, right? That's it seems where a lot of folks obviously have that that struggle to mm-hmm. even get over that edge. Can you take me back to kind of the first part of your journey, like? I, did you always want to get into speaking and coaching and leadership development and stuff like that? Or was that something that kind of was happenstance? It just kind of happened?
1: No. Well, so I, I do know exactly when it happened, which is really ironic. Okay. So I was 17 years old and I was deciding what college I wanted to go to. And it was between Baylor University in Texas. This was actually during the Camp Davidian Waco, Texas thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but we went to, we went to spring break and I visited Waco uh, there, excuse me. I visited Baylor University and I saw their business school and had these beautiful chairs in the business school. <laughs> and I thought, man, these are so much more comfortable than the high school chairs we had. And so I'm like, I want to go to school and feel this way. And so I was like, that's where I want to go. And I was uh, going to a conference with my mother, who was a speaker uh, consultant. And we were at the University of St. Thomas, downtown Minneapolis. And I remember walking by and Saw the same exact chairs in that that college. Which side note, I ended up going to that school because of the chairs. Isn't it crazy what the decision, you know, what yeah. what drives our decisions? <clears throat> you know, he's a you know one hundred thousand, one hundred fifty thousand dollar investment because of chairs. And so, but then I remember going, and it was a creativity in the in the workplace uh, workshop. There's was about five hundred executives that were there, and I saw this guy go on stage. His name was Bill Shepard, and I watched him. And this guy. He was, was funny, he was charismatic, he owned the crowd, he made you think, It was engaging. And I was 17, I'm going, I looked at my mom, I'm like, that's what I wanna do, this guy's amazing. I mean, I was just, I was enamored with this guy. And my mom goes, really? And I'm like, yeah, she goes, well, I'm next. I'm like, oh no, my mom is gonna go up after this guy, this is gonna be humiliating, and embarrassing. And So I didn't want her to go up there. And lo and behold, she goes up there and I'm just waiting for this just to be just a horrific experience. And within two minutes, she has this audience eating out of her hands, speaking in a way I've never seen anybody speak, and with a just a, just a, this expression and confidence in and it blew the other guy out of the water. and so much that the, there was a there was a news reporter and then they did a full business article a full page in the business Star Tribune that day or the next day on what she did. And it was at that moment, I'm like, okay, I guess this is the, the direction I'm going to go. But <clears throat> I didn't really know what I wanted to do or how I wanted to do it. I know I wanted to study the brain. And so I did that. So I wanted to be a hero in neuroscience. But then I remember when I got cut from the basketball team, I was uh, approached, or I, I got a conversation with a uh, executive vice president about to be CEO of a $25 billion company. And I asked him, I said, what's the one thing I got to do now to be in your shoes when I get older? And he looked at me and he said, Renee, you learn how to sell. If you learn how to sell, you'll always be employed. And I was like, selling? Okay, I didn't really know what that meant at 17 and 18. And I was thinking to myself, I was 18 at the time. And I get this thing in the mail saying I've been selected uh, because of my GPA to join this fast-paced sales and marketing company in the health and wellness industry. Well, my GPA was a 2.5, 2.3 or something like that. So I'm thinking they messed up, but hey, I'm supposed to be in sales, so I'll go check this out. And it was a mass recruiting for it to sell cookware door to door, and to spare you the long story, I, I did that. And I was the last guy to make a sale because my mom was out of town, but um, ended up becoming number five in, in the United States, Canada, Mexico. But the reason I share that with you is because I remember you know a few weeks into it, my uh, the, the the manager there, his name was Mike Fusick, ended up becoming the best man at my wedding when I uh, when I got married, and he gave me this cassette tape from this guy named Zig Ziglar, and I was like, "What's this?" He goes, "Just listen to it." And he said, if you listen to audio books and CDs in the car instead of music, in six months, you'll have the equivalent of a a two-year degree. And I thought that was really cool. And so I put him in, and I listened to this guy talking about things that I'd never heard, goal setting and motivation and determination and inspiration. And I was just, I was blown away. Because all I knew was hard work and grit about basketball and self-motivation, because it wasn't anybody motivating me. And when I heard somebody talk that way, it just lit me up. And I was like, and then, I, then he gave me Jim Rohn. And then he gave me Tony Robbins. And then he gave me Tom Hopkins and Brian Tracy. And I was like, you know, man, how cool would it be that someday somebody might listen to me talk? So that's kind of where it started.
0: I want to put a pin in that for one second, but actually kind of sidestep if I can. Because I, one of the big things that I'm, and I'm finding out a lot more recently than probably before is how important support systems, and I call mm. even virtual mentors, people I've never met, uh, yeah. how important they are. Can you talk to me a little bit deeper about that, how important that was? To, and again, maybe it was your, your <clears throat> mother or some others in your family, but really those folks, like a Zig Ziglar, you probably didn't meet, right? Or or Tony Robbins, but I think you probably met, I think you shared the stage with Tony Robbins, didn't you, down the past, yeah, right? Actually, so, okay. I mean, it comes full, full circle there. But like those type of individuals, how did that help you having that support system virtually? But then what are other folks that you actually used as mentors during that time as well to grow?
1: And that's a great question. I, and, and, you know, I never knew my father. And so when you don't have that figure in your life, um, you you search for it everywhere else. And I, I, I searched for it. I found it in, um, <laughs> sadly, Mr. Huxtable in the, the Cosby show. He was a great father figure in the show. Horrible human being, it turns out. Um, but uh, also um, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, his uncle,
0: yeah, and he was that, a great yeah. father,
1: right? And he was, I mean, I looked to those guys you know, on TV and then my friends' fathers and how they did things and coaches and you name it. I was, you, you know, I think kids are searching for guidance, right? And as I get older, I don't think that stopped for me. You know, there's always somebody that I'm looking to and Jim Rohn was probably the biggest impact on me um, of anybody that i never got a chance to meet. I remember exactly where I was when he passed away. And it was one of the saddest moments for me because I, I, he had done so much for me and I never got a chance to meet him. And it was, you know, just listening to him and how he spoke, his philosophy of life and how he looks at everything was so perfect. It was so good and it was so perfect for what I needed at the time that it helped me put in perspective adversity and change and difficulty it gave me a framework to understand, you know, the, the the cycles of life and how it applied to business and all of those elements, you know, so it's, it's those, I love how you said those virtual coaches, those, the virtual mentors, the ones that don't even know they're mentoring you, but they are. And so, yeah, I mean, Dr. Wayne Dyer, you know, I, could, I could name so many that I just uh, were right there.
0: Well, and I found this, and especially, obviously, through my own journey, right? And you know, it wasn't a a great marriage, right? We're still great. We're great now as parents, right? As co-parents, but like, wasn't a supportive marriage. Like it didn't seem like family was always there. And I felt that especially early on, I had those challenges of like not even be able to um, lean on people, if you will, you know, that had similar desires. So that's why I found recently like getting the right group of people has been important. Is that something, have you always had a good group of people around you, like, especially in your adult life or, did you have to seek those people out and, and try to find those different groups or
1: seeking them out? Absolutely. What I think somebody told me when I was young and they take the average income of the people, the five people you spend the most time with, and that becomes your income. And I always looked at that as around your health to around your emotional state, to your business, to everything. And so I always looked at, <clears throat> was very careful about how and who I spent my time with very, um, a lot of friends, but time was something different. I, I used my time very differently, and you know, recently for the last couple of years, it's been you know trying to be healthy, and so I try to spend my time with people that are healthy and physically active, and things like that. And from a business perspective, doing things and you know making things happen. And right now, during these times, who are the people that are really adapting to the new virtual environment and spending time with them and? it's, it's really fascinating that just how powerful it is, the impact that time spent with another human and how they affect you. So absolutely. And yes, seek them out.
0: I want to go back for a minute before I lose a train of thought here on this. So you want to be a speaker at 17. You saw, um, your mom up there and and kind of blew away the room you and then you went into the sales role right to obviously build that skill did you think you were gonna just stay in sales and be kind of a you know carry your own bag if you will for many years was that the thought or were you on a determined path all along to kind of get to that level that that individual you were talking with early on
1: so I gave my life to basketball and uh, I always I felt like after I got, finally got cut for a long, long story that basketball stabbed me in the back. You know, I was lied to. They said, if you work hard at something, you can get anything you want. And I gave it everything. You know, I worked, you'll find few people that worked harder at something that, and I realized, well, they weren't, it wasn't right. I can only be as good as a coach would allow you to be. And if they didn't want to play you, if there was a political thing at play, just, it didn't matter. And when I realized that selling, it didn't matter what the coach thought. It mattered if I closed the deal. I knew that that was something I was gonna do for the rest of my life. To, the, to this day, I'm a salesman. I still have to sell, even as a speaker, even doing 100 events a year, it doesn't matter. This isn't a recurring revenue model that I'm in. <laughs> I have to continue to market, continue to sell, continue to pitch what it is that I do. And it's humbling because, but it's also beautiful. It keeps you sharp, it keeps you fresh. And um, I think there's something really beautiful about the art of, of selling, and it's a it's a beautiful profession.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And being in software sales myself, I get it. And it's yeah, it's something where I think that skill set is so necessary for all walks of life, right? Um, when you so what you're doing now, right? And all that, whether it's the speaking, the coaching, all that. Was there a time when you decided like I'm going to make this change? And how quick did it happen? Like, was it a, an instant change? I'm leaving this, and I'm going to this, or did it take many years to build up that? muscle, if you will, to say, Hey, I can do this on my own. I don't need to work for a company. Uh,
1: it was, it was actually kind of forced upon me, to be honest. I, okay. I, you know, <clears throat> In cookware sales, I went from one-on-one presentations to one-on-ten, right? One-on-one couple, me on to one couple, to one-on-five couples, 10 people that changed everything. So you learn a little bit about, you know, the presentation in front of a room, but it wasn't the same. And then um, when I went to Work out of college, I did go to work for my mother's consulting group, and we were doing 55 workshops a month all over the country. It was very, very busy, very, very successful. I wasn't a, a, a consultant or a speaker; I was just a sales coordinator. That's all I was. And so I traveled to all the events, and I'd watch, and I, for years I would just write down everything that was being said. You name what every story that was told, every question answered. I just wanted to understand, right? It was it was I was always a really good student, very coachable in that kind of environment. And so, I would watch and watch and watch and after um it was it was, it was August around August of 2001, I, I I was promoted to take over the company and CEO. And wow, I thought I'd made it, you know, everything was, was great. And a week or a month later, uh, 9/11 hits. <laughs> and, Didn't have any idea what that would how that would impact things, and ended up we lost our largest client, a million dollar contract. The week after that happened, Um, we had a company of twenty five employees, thirty seven consultants. We had to fire twenty of them in a day. Um, It was one of the most difficult things that I'd ever had to do, and realized that we had nothing. It was just this wasn't a a, an asset. It was a business that if you're not training, you're not making money, and if you don't have clients, it's nothing. And so, spending time to rebuild that. Uh, My mother also around that time had a stroke. And so I'm out there trying to sell her as a speaker and realizing that she'd never really marketed herself. She was, she had grown, my mother's a former nun, if you can imagine that. Thank God she's not anymore. And um, was always working in communities and found herself and kind of pulled into the corporate world, but never, not something, it was not, never anything that she intended to do. She was just very good at it. And so her approaches were very different in those times um, worked. And when she had to go out and sell herself, she never had any experience of doing that. It was always, she was always referred into one thing to another, to another, to another for years. And so it was a new experience and I had to learn how to go in front of the room and give an introduction to what she was going to do. And when she would speak, it was out of context because there was nobody in the room knew the training she did before she had a reputation. There's one company to the next or one division to the next and it carried over. It wasn't like that. So I would, then my, my introduction was three minutes. And then it had to be 10 minutes. Then it had to be 15 minutes and it had to be, you know, more and more and more. And pretty soon I'm doing 45 minute talks and they're asking me to come back. And so sort of this process of being forced to go out there and do it um, was really what started it. And then than thinking, okay, this is something I want to do, and, and really putting time and energy into doing it. Isn't that interesting how that happens? Like the forced
0: motivation, if you will, like you, you almost had to do it, so there was really no alternative. You know, you had to go, you had to go out there and and figure it out. And ultimately, sometimes I think getting thrown in the fire probably makes you learn, you know, almost that much quicker, right? <sighs>
1: yeah. Well, there's always an alternative, but
0: <laughs> i not sure. You could have not shown up, to... I guess.
1: Yeah. No. You're, yeah. There's something to it, but it was. You know, there's, there's something to be said about there's never a perfect time. And, and when, you know, the, the time is when you're ready and, and you, the time, there's no shortcutting a learning curve. You have to go through it. You have to fumble. You have to fall. You have to learn to get back up. You have to learn how to bomb and bomb hard. <laughs> and you got to learn how to come back. There's, there's just no way around it. And I, and I tell people, you know, they say, well, I want to become a speaker. I say, great. Are you want to give it the next 10 years of your life. And if they look at me, and say, what do I like to do next year? I said, great, you'll be speaking the whole 10 years. I said, but you got to go through a lot of really amazing, fun challenges to get there. and And then the there really never is there. You know, I've been doing this 20 some years and there's no there. There's only a whole bunch of other places I need to go still. And I feel like I'm barely getting started. Well, so we
0: can obviously see, you know, from the videos and stuff, again, the presentation on, on screen, if you will, what's kind of behind the curtain? What are some of the, the challenging moments of the, uh, of
1: the speaking journey, the, the coaching journey, uh, what are some things you can share on that front? Well, it is a sales job. You're never going to get away from that. It's just, it is a self-promotion. You have to be able to get in front of the right people. And then when you get in front of them, you got to be able to tell a really good story and you got to be able to connect your talk to their business challenge. And that I think is good that, that all the years I spent as a consultant, I think was really, really helpful. Um, you know, the challenges are it's, you know, from a business standpoint, it's not, it's, it, it's not a business asset. You can't sell what we're doing, you know, unless you write a book or create a, a massive following of people paying an annual or monthly fee, being a speaker is, you know, one gig to the next. and doing 100 events you're mostly in hotels and you're in the road you're away from your family and if you aren't conscious about what you're eating or how you're sleeping or exercise it is very easy to 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 let your health go and you know the adrenaline of being on that stage is powerful enough to um, get you to stay up too late sometimes not get the proper sleep you know so there's there's a whole net, you know, non-romantic, non-sexy side to the to the process, and as I've gotten older into it, now to me, I protect the time a lot more, and it's not because I want to not be around people. I am an introvert, so it's it is hard uh, being around so many people, especially after you speak, because I need some private time and quiet time to to, to re-energize. But I protect it not just because I want to be healthy the next day. Uh, you know, I don't drink on the road, I don't party, I don't do those types of things. And now I've had to learn how to even say no to the dinners because sometimes those are tempting to eat really bad things, you know. And so if I eat like crap, I'm going to feel like crap the next day and I got to deliver something. Is, well, on that,
0: on that front, I'm always curious of like, you know, you've learned a lot over the you know, 20 plus years you've been doing this what did you think was like when 20 years ago was like, Oh, this is, this is absolutely it. Like, this is the truth. And then you realize like that was disproven. Like, is there something that's been like an aha moment for you in this whole journey uh, from a speaking standpoint?
1: Yeah. Um, maybe people won't like this, but um, a lot of people are not who they are on stage in person. And I was always very saddened by that. It was, I was saddened by watching people talk about a certain subject matter, whether it be patience or whether it be compassion. And then you watch them be just complete jerks to uh, hotel staff or it's just, it just, the, the, that was always a big frustration for me. And by no means am I saying somebody needs to be perfect, but I just saw behind the curtain so often on whether it be celebrities, whether it be, um, you know, big name speakers. And <clears throat> it is a enticing profession because of the power of being on that stage. And with that comes a big responsibility. And, you know, the thing that I always wanted to be was the guy that was, and I'm competitive, so I want to be the best on that stage. There's no, we can't lie about that. But I also wanted to be the the most approachable. And if I were to be very honest, that's also worked against me. Because there is a psychology of scarcity involved with the speakers that, that go on that stage and then disappear because now they're not available and that increases their value. And my choice to then be available afterwards or coming down and talking to people, being approachable is great, but it also can, if if not done right, can also hurt the value of, of uh, the scarcity. And so for me, I've chosen to find a way to make both work because And to me, that's just about time. And if I can be consistent and good over a long period of time, then, and have just quantity of good content, then I think that should win. I'm hoping (laughs) that makes sense. No, I I mean, I I couldn't agree
0: more. I mean, I think that's also, you know, the word authentic, right. Gets used a lot, but like, you're just being yourself. Like you want to spend time with those people. And as you mentioned, sometimes you got to go away and you can't go to the dinner or you can't go out and you can't do those things. And that's, you know, that's the time needed. But at the end of the day, like staying after for an hour and shaking hands and answering questions like that's just who you are. I mean, I've I've spent a little time with you before we chatted for before the call. Like, it seems like that's how you are. So it's like, why wouldn't you put that out? And I think the world wants that. Right. I think it's a changing of the guard than it was 20 years ago.
1: I agree with you. See that, that I, I agree. I think that this, the transparency isn't a choice anymore. You know, either you're either you do it, proactively or the internet's going to figure you out. <laughs> it's, right, It's just going to figure you out. And I don't have the energy for it. It's, you know, I, I did in the last 60 days, we counted over a hundred podcasts, uh, virtual events and zoom trainings, not just like getting on with a couple of friends and, you know, I'm talking about like actual business related and people said, why in the world would you do that? And, you know, cause you didn't charge for any of them. And I said, well, One, it was a new environment, and I need to figure it out as fast as possible, one. Two, I think that the information that I share is kind of needed right now. Understanding stress, understanding people's irrational behavior, all those things are what are my sort of my bailiwick, if you will. And so I needed to get it out there. And two, I think that the more I understand what's going on, the more it preps me for delivering value after these 60 days. And so it's, but it's just, it's just who I am, too.
0: Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's, you know, I always said, like, um, like, I, I say to a lot of people, I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't lie. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's some white lies. My son still thinks there's Santa, you know, stuff like that. But I'm like, it's so exhausting to have to try to remember lies. You know, so I remember early on, someone gave me that advice. And that's why I'm like, yeah, why would I, why would I lie? Right? It's just like, not who I am. So it's the same thing. It's like, you got to just be who you are. Like, what's, there's nothing to hide anymore. There's no, there's no facade that needs to be put on, you know? Well,
1: uh, you know, it's, so in, let's be, I'll be even transparent. I mean, before we started this, I'm cleaning up the background of my talk, moving the, moving this out of way moving that out of the way making sure, you know, so it's, it's, um, as much as I want to say, I'm fully transparent. If I were to move the camera, you'd see kind of a little mess over here and, you know, i got a pile of, you know, uh, papers that I'm kind of going through and I've got, you know, my uh, stuff over here. So it's, it, this looks. This little box looks nice, you know. <laughs> well, hey, but, I mean, we don't, I don't want you moving the camera. I mean, that's yeah, you it, could do. But that. it's, but, but I think that that's there's a there's a reality of that's the challenge of we are in this world and in the business that I'm in, and now you you're doing these podcasts. You're in the business of being judged. Was your podcast good or bad? Yeah. You're saying, hey, this is what I think, and you put it out there. People are going to rate it, whether they tell you that or not, and this in the comments, whether they watch it's 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 that takes courage to be able to do that because you know what if nobody watches <laughs> there's a rating right um and so we have to be able to manage what's the healthy balance of managing a healthy perception right in terms of branding because there's a, there's a brand involved here right this is this little box that we live in now is a brand and so what is, your background says something what you wear says something and it how you speak says something your quality and the video all that stuff so I mean, if you notice right now i have a dslr as my as my webcam. And we do that because that's one differentiator as a virtual, um, speaker. Now I want to be able to at least be clearer than the the speaker that uses zoom, right? There's a, that's a competitive strategy.
0: Can I dive into that a little deeper? Actually, you just brought that up about, you know, kind of the comments and people saying stuff that I, I found is the biggest, I know it was for me. I mean, I, I should have started this podcast in 2015 and I started in 2017 because of that, what are people going to think? Am I good enough? You know, the self-confidence that I was still building. Do yeah. you feel that's one of the, or maybe the biggest reason people don't start um, kind of
1: going after what they really want? Or or would you say there's something else? I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of answers to that. I know to myself, I haven't started my podcast because I'm a perfectionist and I have this weird thinking that there's a perfect way of doing it, which there isn't, you know? And so, I don't have a content problem, but you know, gosh, how am I going to do it? Am I doing perfect? And all of a sudden it takes forever to get the darn thing started. So it could be a sense of perfectionism and really comes from a fear of not looking right and being judged and uh, not doing it. so I better not do it at all than to do it. Some people, maybe they don't have access to the information. I think that's one of the most important overlooked concepts in today's society is people take for granted what they had access to growing up. You know, I had a mother that, gave me access to information. Yeah, she grew up in a trailer and we were poor growing up, but she changed that and turned around and gave me access to knowledge, access. My my manager gave me access to a Zig Ziglar which blew my mind and Tony Robbins and you know Jim Rohn, those are that's access to knowledge and information. Being able to go to school has a privilege to it of access to conversations. Everything to me maybe it was an access issue, they didn't have access to that thinking, or maybe it was, you know, having parents that didn't believe in them, or that self-esteem challenge, and then they didn't have anybody to help them get out of that, and so they stayed with that, you know, maybe there was a uh, parents that had a poverty mentality, and they, you know, they said things like, well, they're filthy rich, or, you know, stinking rich, you know, dirty and stinking, you know, so Subconsciously, why would we go after something dirty and stinky? You know, There's all sorts of things that kind of go into whether we get there. But I do believe, I do believe that when you give somebody access to a new idea and that sparks something new, that they'll never be the same. I think it was William James that said, a mind once stretched by a new idea never regains its original shape. And that is at the core of what Volentum is. My company name stands for Voluntary Momentum. And everything that I do is about how do I open up that thought, show them, whether it be through a perceptual illusion, whether it be through a great story, whether it be through an example, um, a drawing of a Venn diagram, uh, an example, magic trick, whatever to spark that idea that they go, wow, an idea that they can't unsee. And when you help somebody see that idea they can't unsee, they'll pursue it for the rest of their lives. And that to me is voluntary momentum towards something. And so I think that, you know, maybe they haven't had that yet. Maybe there's some underlying beliefs. I mean, there's so many ways to approach that question.
0: Well, to what you just mentioned there, and I'm not sure if this is in line with it or something totally different. I saw a tweet that you put out a little while ago and I thought it was just so perfect (laughs) because it was literally simple. It's simplicity drives execution. Can you explain what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, it was a lesson given to me by one of my mentors, uh, Don Clawson, years ago. And he was doing strategic planning. He used to do strategic planning for Brian Tracy organization. If you know Brian Tracy, he was was an icon. And he would always say, because I would always complicate things. He said, Renee, simplicity drives execution. The moment we have too many bullet points and too many sub bullets, and it's just not going to happen. And you look at, I've got uh, one of my clients who become a really good friend, Dave Glegas. And his goal is simple. He wants 30 sales reps doing 100 units a year. That's it. And when he tells that story, it's so tangible. Now, is there execution and things beyond it? Absolutely. It's tangible and it's simple. Think about how anything that you're going after, the more complex it is, the more it starts to slow down. And the wisdom and the genius is that a leader who can distill the complex into something simple and tangible. That to me is true genius.
0: Do you also look at that from a personal level as well? I know, you know, if you have a lot, you know, I, sometimes I, have like, I feel like seven balls in the air of stuff I want to do, projects and stuff. And when I find I can just focus on one, it's just amazing how that flows so much easier, you know?
1: Yeah, it's, it's you know, baseball. You got to get to first base. You can't get can't think of second base until you get to first, you know, there's, there's something really simple in that. And, and, you know, it, if my goal to work out more is, you know, I can say, well, I'm going to do the, all this big plan, or I can just say, you know, I'm just, my goal is to get to the front door of the gym. And I know which once is, you get to that sometimes,
0: front door sometimes, well, now it's tough, but
1: you know. yeah. Right. It's like, <laughs> but we know what's going to happen once you get to that front door. Yeah. Everything's going to fall into place. And, but we make it so complex sometimes in so many different elements and, you know, there's. In the, I don't want to get into Achman's razor, but Achman's razor. You know, it talks about the more compl- the more assumptions we make to something, you know, the, the less likely it is to be true. And so, you look at all the simplicity of things, and the simpler we can make it, the easier it is for us to do. Mm-hmm. And so, I just I think that what it, what it means to the audience. Anytime something feels overly complex, try to simplify. Well. In terms of what
0: you're doing from an execution standpoint, some of the stuff I saw, like especially on your website, you're continuing to redefine yourself, right? You're doing stuff different today than you were a year ago, five years ago, ten. Um, I saw the lighthouse series that you're doing, which I thought was really neat, kind of putting some of this content. Can you share how you think about continuing to evolve and innovate, and you know, try to you know stay top of mind for the world as it is today versus you know as things change so quickly?
1: For sure. For sure. The, the first thing that goes to mind is, is that I go to when, when all this came down was what, what are my skill sets? What are the gifts that have been given to me? And how can I share? That, that's sort of the first thing that, you know, how can I help? And sometimes helping is following. Sometimes the best way I can help is to shut up and just be, do as told. And I play that role in different scenarios, different relationships and in, uh, in different areas of my life. But sometimes the the role I need to play is to speak up. And this was one that I felt that I, I needed to speak up. I think that this was a time that leaders needed to step forward. I see too often leaders don't realize their influence. They don't realize how much they can actually impact a situation. They don't realize how many people are watching them. They don't, parents don't realize their kids are watching them. And I wanted to be very loud about that. And to really call out to say, guys and gals, this is the time that we need to be able to lead. And so I wanted to share some of my, uh, I guess more cornerstone content with um, everybody, whoever wanted to watch it. And, you know, it began with uh, the Courage Scale, which was a framework to understand how our energy affects us behaviorally and emotionally, and how it affects other people around us. And you know, during times of stress, I can predict what's going to happen. You know, people are going to start getting irrational. There's a good group of people that are going to lash out. It's a big group of people that are going to make this political. This is going to. There's there's people that are going to become scarce and and fear driven. All of that is predictable. And so I was trying to create a framework to understand it. And so I wanted to talk about energy takers and energy givers above the line, below the line. I wanted to give a framework to understand how the brain works from a broad perspective on, under stress and how do we move and navigate through it. I wanted to give sales professionals a very simple methodology to move through a sales process because they still need to do that even, even during times of stress. And talk about innovation, I wanted to make sure that people are still thinking that right now, I mean, innovation doesn't come from abundance, it comes from constraint. When we are constrained, we are forced to think differently. And that, that, and but yet, when we're constrained, we're not thinking innovation, we're thinking survival, and, and we're thinking all sorts of other things. And sometimes we just go and hide versus hold on a second to say, what if there was another way? I mean, such a powerful question. That what if? What do you do from a more of a, a mental
0: stability? If I, I don't, I'm, my vocabulary is not great. So let me use that. Cause obviously you get background in neuroscience and, and you talk about that a lot, but what do you, about you personally, is there things that you do to continue to stay positive, optimistic? I'm sure you get down on things, you get stressed out. Like what are some things that you do to manage?
1: The, and absolutely, you know, for there, there are a lot of reasons to, I told this to my kids, a, I could right now make a case for, for why my, my life sucks. I could, I could pull out 20 bullet points, but I could also make a case to why my life's amazing. I could pull out 20 bullet points. So which one's true? I asked him. And he kind of looked at me. I said, it's the one I choose to, to look at because they're both true, but I, I I the way it works, I get to define how I see it. And what I found is when I decide to explain life to myself a certain way, it leads me to other thoughts and other behaviors, which then start to fulfill that prophecy. And we don't realize just how much our thoughts start guiding the way we perceive the world. Uh, the frame by which we put around a subject changes everything. And what uh, Dr. Martin Seligman calls it our explanatory style, how we explain things to ourselves. And when we think about things are from that perspective, like, you know, one of the pieces, is it pervasive, right? Is this something that's pervading every aspect of my life, or is it just one aspect of my life, right? And, you know, the optimist, when success happens, they're going to say this is universal. It it pervades every aspect of my life. A pessimist is going to think limited pervasiveness. Well, this success has happened in this little piece of my life. But then you look at adversity and pervasiveness, and the optimist is going to say, the opposite. They're going to say, well, this is limited pervasive. This negativity, this adversity is only happening in one small piece of my life. But the pessimist, when it comes to negativity and adversity, is going to have universal. hold well, this affects every aspect. I, I dropped, I spilled the coffee. That means my life sucks and I suck at everything, you know, and it's pervasive. So understanding how I explain it to myself, number one, and then it's, this is so cliche, but on, honestly, this is I think the, the, the answers to life lie in cliches. It's, it's what I can and can't control. And I don't have energy for the things I can't control because I know too well that it is a futile effort. If I can't control it, any energy I spend on it is futile. And so I go to what I can control, whether it be my surroundings, whether it be if I go to the gym or not, whether it be if I just need to go, go uh, take a nap, <laughs> whatever it is doing those things and controlling what I can control. but also I think that <clears throat> we can create so much in this world. and so if if there are you know people complaining about the media while they're on social media being the media, it's like no we're the media now and so I'm not going to complain about the media while I'm putting something negative. How about I decide to put something positive now I'm the media and we can rejoice in the fact that there's something positive. What we pay attention to really does grow.
0: It's got an element of stoicism in there, you know, the, uh, we, can't, couldn't, we, we can't control what goes around, around us, but we can control our reaction to it. Mm-hmm. So definitely, how long did that take you to get to that mindset? Has it always been like that since you were younger? Or did that take a lot of years of just work and development on that to get that positive mindset when things do go bad?
1: You know, I would say Jim Rohn was probably a big piece of it. You know, he, he would talk about inevitability. And, and he had a very humorous, but yet such a profound way of talking about it. He said, inevitable, you know, there, there, are certain people that are a certain way. And, you know, he said, people cutting you off on the road and the one, the person getting upset about that, you know, he's like, you know, the, the naive person is the one yelling at them. So, you know, that's their job. They're cutter offers on the road, you know, so liars shouldn't lie. Well, that's their job. They're, they should lie. Why am I going to worry myself over the liars and understanding that there's, there's certain things in life that are just not worthy of the energy. For it, and I know that sounds so cliche, but when you can actually find the practice to be able to do it, and there's an empowerment that comes with it because the other side of not worrying about what you can't control comes with grit and energy and vigor in changing what you can. That is where we should devote our energy. So it's not just this passive, I'm not going to worry about it, it's I'm not going to worry about this piece of the pie because I can't do anything about it, but look at the rest that I can affect. That's where my energy goes. And if you do that a few times, now all of a sudden you start seeing the result. And when you see the result, you want it again. And those are things that are formed at an early age. And so if parents are listening, you know, my, my, we used to play this game with my kids where we, you know, every time we go to a restaurant, you take the coaster and they're usually front side looked one way, the other side looked another. And I'd play a game of what you can and can't control. And so I'd take two of them, you know, if it's one was red, one was green. And they'd say things out loud, like the weather, and they'd have to, you know, green was you can control it, red was you can't, and so they'd have to smack the button that was you can't, or weather, they'd smack red, right, and uh, how daddy feels, uh, red, right, Uh, your own emotions, green, you know, so we just, I just made, I was, I was dumb that way, but I did that, you know, for years, and then now, you know, he's, you know, Alex is 19, and I'm like, you remember that game? He's like, yeah, I said, we're playing that game right now. He looked at me. I said, "What?" He said, "There's a whole bunch of stuff we can't control." I said, "But give me a list of five things you can do right now." And that kind of conversation.
0: Oh, that's cool. I'm going to use that with my eight year old. and Let's see how that goes over. That'll be uh, that'll be pretty. It's cool. fun. Yeah, I, I met. Well, I think too. It's especially kids at a younger age. I wish I had this, but like. Sometimes you have to, I think, open them up because they're, they're to new ideas because they're they're not thinking that way, right? I mean, they're they only know what you mostly provide them or that they see on you know YouTube or something like that. But I think if you're the one that's shining that light on it, you can help influence, you know, sure, in a good way, sure. right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent.
0: All right, I want to go back to let's go back to childhood for you and let's uh, let's talk about this. Let's end on this point. Is I always like to figure out, you know. If you have that opportunity, and you may not change anything, understanding, right? Because you may not be in the spot you are today. But if you had to go back, let's go back to your teenage self, right? That 17-year-old. And you had, you could write something to them, but you only have a Post-it note to write it on. What would you say to them? What would be the most impactful thing you think can help them out?
1: It's <laughs> So dumb. Save more money than you want and never skip your workouts. It would be about health and money.
0: I think that's a good way to, that's a good way to approach it. Um, especially, I just think you know,
1: it's just, it's one of those things I learned about it, but you know, you, it's, you know, you save money and you, you remain healthy. Everything becomes so much easier because it gives you options and choices. Hmm. Your health goes away. You're, you're limited in options. If you've ever been in the hospital for something and you sit there and you go, I want out of this jail and you start realizing how important your health is or when you run up against financial issues and you start realizing, wow, I could have done so much more. You know, those types of things are so critical.
0: And what's interesting too, how those, that is such a good point, because like how they go hand in hand. Like I remember when I, I was in a lot of debt in the past, like credit card debt and stuff, student loans and the stress you have. So not, not only do you have stress during the day, but you can't sleep at night because that's all you're thinking about, you know, you, yeah. am I, how am I going to pay the next bill? And it's just, that obviously affects your health. Cause again, I'm so big on sleep. If you don't sleep enough, well, that's, a, you know, it's just a, a revolving door. That's just not a, you know, the only way to change it is actually to, ch- is to change it. But you
1: know, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a self, it's a self-reinforcing cycle. That's for sure.
0: Renee, this is awesome, man. Where, uh, where can everyone find you online? Where, where can they connect with you?
1: Uh, website, crenespeak.com, S E E, Renee, R E N E, speak.com is probably the Follow me on Instagram at crenespeak as well.
0: This was a lot of fun. I'm so grateful of just getting a chance to talk with you, man. I love your stuff online and so thankful you guys taking the time out.
1: I appreciate it, Brian, and I appreciate what you're doing here, and it was an honor to be a part of it
0: thank you all for joining in on another episode or if this is your first one I appreciate you being here and certainly grateful for the listen Uh, come back and check another guest out we got some great ones coming up as well and if you guys don't mind, I'd love a review on Apple if you have 15 to 20 seconds. You might even be listening to this on Apple Podcasts. So you can just scroll down to the bottom and go ahead and leave a rating and a review. It only gets us out to more people. And you know, I'm a big believer that all the different experiences that we have in our own journeys, if we share those together, if we get those out, it might encourage other people to take that leap of faith, step outside their comfort zone, and ultimately achieve fulfillment in their life. So I look forward to connecting with you guys online as well. Uh, My website, BrianOnDraco.com. Hit me up on a note there or Instagram and Twitter at BrianOnDraco. Besides, I'm out on LinkedIn as well if you just search my name. So hope to connect with you guys real soon. I hope you have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.